This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. There is a lot to discuss this week as Jonas Hayes was officially introduced at a press conference on Monday and he's already brought two transfers into the program in his early days in charge. We'll break down all the basketball news and cover another outstanding week on the diamond for Georgia State Baseball as they went on the road and swept Coastal Carolina over the weekend and followed it up with a win across town at Georgia Tech on Tuesday night, moving all the way up to 25 in RPI. But first, basketball. Let's go ahead and dive into that press conference where school president Dr. M. Brian Blake and athletics director Charlie Cobb introduced Jonas Hayes as Georgia State's 16th men's basketball coach. Brady was uh, live in attendance there, and I know we've all got thoughts about what by uh, all accounts was a fantastic introductory press conference. Gentlemen, what you got? Yeah, I mean, I've been to a couple of these now. I was at Coach Lanier's introduction. Uh, I was at one of the sports arena. I was trying to rack my brain what it would have been. I think it must have been Trent Miles' introduction. Ran into <laughs> Coach Hunter in the stairway there, uh, stairwell there getting my sousaphone. I think I was in the pet band for that one. But uh, this was unlike any of the other ones I've been around. As far as just the energy in the room, there were a lot of, alum, a lot of alums there. Um, there was... His family was there and there's just, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, put words to it, but just like sitting there as he was saying, you just felt this energy, you felt this warmth about it. And it's kind of reinforced all that we've been saying and just how this hire really fit what everyone around the program was looking for. And, you know, he knocked it out of the park. It's really easy to win the press, you know, win the press conference and then you know, now have that follow, but it's still a nice time where you can look back and just talk about how much of a home run of a press conference it was like winning the press conference is the easiest thing to do, but he still did it. And then some get it. He knocked it out of the park. The press conferences was in the artist formerly known as Turner field. Ah, us here at the Thursday night podcast, the jokes, they write themselves. Uh, I echo Brady's sentiments, though, specifically about energy. Um, And I think that was the one thing that was really, I don't want to say important to me, but that was the one thing that I that I noticed was that it just it felt right. And, you know, press conferences are like when coaches get announced. Whatever, sometimes like they can do Mad Libs, you can fill in the words that they're going to say, everyone say the same things. Exactly. It is very cookie cutter. Usually, you know, we want to play tough. We want to play physical. You know, guys are going to come in and do X, Y, Z. And, you know, I think Coach Hayes, like off the cuff mentioned, you know, the style of coach that he wanted to be. But for the majority of the press conference, it was just the humility that he showed the, you know, anecdotes that he gave about his family, about, you know, his past and, you know, kind of the. I would say the budding relationship that he's already started to develop with athletic director, Charlie Cobb, like that's, you know, a lot of things that coaches don't have to get into when they get hired. And it just, you know, you could definitely tell that this is a guy with Atlanta roots. You can definitely tell that this is a guy who in some way, shape or form, this is a coming home for him. And I think the thing that impressed me the most was how he reached out to the alumni that were in attendance and the fact that alumni were in attendance in general, you know, like they didn't have to do that. Um, 
And I don't know, it just, it really kind of spoke to me that he, Coach Hayes, is interested in continuing the culture of Georgia State basketball, but also that through the last five-ish years with some of the turnover that's been there, you know, player personnel and, you know, coaching staff, the culture of Georgia State basketball clearly is able to withstand a lot of things, you know, like I know, (laughs) shout out to friend of the pod, Ben Moore, like, you know, when he's on Twitter and he's saying like Panther family, it's not just a hashtag, like it really isn't just a hashtag. Yeah, and speaking to the Atlanta of it all and just the I think ownership you want to see from someone taking this job and saying the things he's saying about making Atlanta this destination again for guys who played their high school ball here. The, we alluded to it, you know, Jordan did the, the Thursday night podcast, you know, the Georgia State University. I think that's going to be a recurring thing. And I, I'm honestly a fan. You know, if any, if it catches anyone in the Ohio State realm catches wind, they're going to get annoyed because that's their thing. And, you know, I understand this. They tried to trademark the word. They tried to trademark the word, and it didn't work. So it's fair game for anybody else. So we are not gonna get a cease and desist, cease and desist. Um, I don't know where to go from there. Uh, I the thing is, is that you really felt all of what he's been selling as him saying this is you know we want to bring it all here selling the Atlanta part of it. And then also I, I don't even, I didn't really in the moment I was tweeting what I could from the press conference. And he was telling the story about his dad. And I just kind of said like, I'm not going to send this out. Cause I don't want to like half-ass this tweet thread about the stuff he was saying, this really heartfelt and meaningful story about his dad. So the press conference is on YouTube. Now, if you want to go back and look for yourself, it was really the emotional moment of the press conference where we talked about, how he wanted his dad to be there when he was a head coach and his dad passed uh, in 2016. But six years to the day after his dad passed, Charlie Cobb called about the Georgia state job. And so he said something and I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but it was something to the effect of he may not be here physically, but he's been here through this process. And it was a real, you know, he was brought to tears momentarily. It was really, really emotional in the room. And uh, just again, speaks to, the humanity just speaks to the the person speaks to all of that. And the, the other thing that struck me uh, about the press conference was like David said, like I said, these press conferences aren't usually grounds for any kind of new answers or except like everyone says they're going to play fast. They're going to do all that. And I asked the question about, you know, what are you going to bring offensively defensively? And, his answers were what you expect. And I think that we want to be the toughest, nastiest team in the Sun Belt was a great quote coming out of it. No surprise. It's the one that the uh, Georgia State basketball account went with when they were tweeting out a clip from the event. But more than just what was said, because it is kind of what it said every time, it was that every couple of seconds he would be looking over and saying it to the players who were off to his right on the other side of the podium. And it was like it wasn't so much the words. It was that he was speaking to them. He wasn't speaking to me, the media or to the audience, even who were listening. It was straight to his players. He was saying stuff like we want to be open and free, but I got to be able to trust you to play open free. We want to play fast, but we can't play too fast and out of control. And so even in what isn't usually that groundbreaking of a news event, 
I did take that away, even if it's kind of more of a, a vibe thing rather than anything specific that it means for what the team's going to look like on court. Yeah, I was really curious about that comment that he made. Um, and I don't I, I hate doing X's and O's like two, three weeks into the offseason. But that comment that he made about not running plays and he wants to be able to trust his players was really interesting to me because it seems kind of counterintuitive to what I feel like most college and NBA basketball coaches want to do. So I'm really curious to see how that kind of ebbs and flows. And, you know, Jordan timestamp this specifically. So when it's December or January and the players are running and looking crazy, I can <laughs> I can come back to this moment. But, you know, I, for now, I'm interested to see what that looks like. I took it to mean just giving them the freedom to make plays, giving them the freedom to call their own shot literally figuratively literally or figuratively when they felt they could and i guess we'll see how much of it is just literally going to be only players not running and i'm assuming there are going to be set plays so i didn't necessarily you know bump on that nearly as much as you did but like you say it'll be interesting to see and you know i will say that just on a recruiting basis if that's what he's selling that that's a that's something that is going to entice top level talent even more top level talent than what Georgia state's gotten in the last few years as they've built up their profile. Like if you're telling guys that they're going to be able to, you know, do like the NBA, like that might not be how it plays out in reality, but that does sound really good to guys who are, you know, cooking their high school competition and scoring 30 a game. And it will get into guys that have entered the program that did that in their times in high school and that um, are coming from other schools now. But the other, the last thing I wanted to say about the press conference was, the moment other than the touching story from Jonas about his dad and just the energy, the moment that stood out was before anyone from the media actually got to ask any questions, former assistant coach, former player, Travis Williams, was the first one who took the mic and he just said, Jonas, on behalf of the alum- alumni of the Georgia State basketball program, I just want to say you have our back or we have your back. We, you, we are supporting you through this. And it just felt is just wrapping up all that we've talked about it with Zofar. It just felt like such a moment of the Georgia State basketball culture is in a good place right now. And there's a lot of buy-in and everyone's excited about the hire. And that extends to guys who used to put on the uniform and come out and play for Georgia State. All right. So as we mentioned previously, we almost immediately got some transfer news just after uh uh, coach Hayes was announced as the new coach of men's basketball and uh, Xavier guard Dwan Odom followed him from his previous stop and college of Charleston guard Brendan Tucker announced he was transferring to GSU. Both are Metro Atlanta kids. Odom was a four-star recruit out of St. Francis and Alpharetta and averaged 6.3 points per game in 2.2 assists per game, mostly off the bench in his sophomore campaign this year. He scored 18 in the Musketeers NIT championship game win over Texas A&M. Tucker, meanwhile, went to Dekula High School in Gwinnett County and just finished his junior year in Charleston, averaging 11.3 points, 2.4 rebounds, and 1.2 assists per game. He made 39% of his three-pointers. Odom has three years of eligibility remaining, while Tucker has two. So, gentlemen, thoughts on these first two pickups by Coach Hayes? Yes, so uh, the Odom one, um, I think it's fair to say we basically knew without knowing even when we recorded last week's pod, we felt pretty confident, but not so far as he, the player had said anything that he was leaving. So it wasn't a reportable thing, but the vibe all around from 
people who are following the Xavier program saying, yeah, Odom's going to follow Jonas to him popping up as having been contacted by Georgia state and then almost immediately setting his commitment time. Like all of the things was lining up that that was going to happen. And I mean, the thing you got to say is that with a lot of question marks, at least with the seniors that are leaving and, you know, Nelson leaving starting positions are up for grabs. I think it's fair to say, at least from my point of view with Odom coming, the point guard conversation is kind of closed. Like, Jonas got his point guard for his year one team. That's what Odom's going to come in to do. And he's a four-star recruit. He, I mean, if you watch him on tape, he's really quick, really smart with the passing. Um, I I think at this level, especially he can be a guy that sticks with most primary ball handlers on defense. And so that'll be a plus to lean on as well. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway for me from this one is that, Point guard, you've got the guy. That's the guy who's going to come out and start against Georgia Tech as point guard. And that's a really big thing to get sorted almost right away. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I definitely like Odom's point guard profile. Um, I don't know that Georgia State otherwise had a point guard on the team. So you're absolutely right. This is probably your, you know, your guard number one. And I mean, it's a really good get, <laughs> you know, there's no other way to say that. Like you look at the stats and you're like, okay, six points a game eh, two assists a game. You look under the hood. That was a guy who was coming off the bench mostly. And he, in the beginning of the year, wasn't getting a ton of playing time. You know, it's a, that's a real, it's a decent Xavier team. They didn't do too hot in their conference. So they kind of had to fall to the NIT and they won it. But a big reason why is if you just look at the run that Odom went on and he, you know, he was doing a little bit of everything, you know, 18 points in the championship game in the second round, he had another 10 points, seven rebounds. You know, he's a good free throw shooter. He's a guy who doesn't take a lot of threes. Um, I think he took like six all year, something like that. Six or nine. Yeah. Um, he's only taken, he's taken less than 20 his entire time at Xavier. Exactly. So I, I'm not even ready to say he isn't a three point shooter. I'm ready to say that he did not have the green light at all at Xavier. And so I'm wondering what that's going to look like now at Georgia state. Exactly. And you know, I don't know what he's going to do from at, from distance, but Georgia state needed a facilitator. And I would say it's been a while since Georgia state has had a, how do I want to say this? Because I, I feel like I'm going to insult Kane without intentionally insulting Kane. Uh, if Odom can be as dominant inside as I think he can be, it will have been since Demarcus was here that somebody was that good in the paint and finishing at the rim. And that's like I said, it's no disrespect to Kane Williams. I think if given Odom's profile and just the, you know, just going off the NIT run, you know, we're looking at a guy who likes to finish at the rim, who's very good at it. And that is scary. You know, we know how that has played in Georgia state's history. You know, guys like Ryan Harrow, guys like, you know, Devonte white, Kane Williams, a little bit too. If Odom is a guy like that, it's going to be scary hours in the sunbelt again. You thought the run See, was I, over guys, but it's not. I was going to go there and I did, you know, so don't feel like you're going to bat. But like, again, it's not a disrespect thing, but I definitely would say that just his ceiling, I mean, you can see it just with how he was a four-star recruit. You can see it on his tape that he's just, his ceiling is being the best primary ball handler George State's had 
scoring the ball since DeMarcus. And honestly, he's got the potential to be the best since Ryan Harrow. Like, and Ryan Harrow was, he got the ball at the top of the key and got past his man and no one's going to stop him getting in the rim. And I guess to illustrate kind of the difference, he shot just under 60% on twos this year. The main guards for Georgia State all hovered around 40% from twos. And this year was a weird year. That's not the career numbers for any of them from inside the arc. And there was some weirdness going on where like just good shots weren't falling. And I think it'll be five years, 10 years down the line. We'll look back and remember just how weird an offensive year it was. But there's a lot of gap there, like 20% difference there on made two pointers is pretty substantial. And it just speaks to the finishing ability that Odom has more than anything about the guys that have been here. Just he has the ability to be that kind of elite efficient scorer. And I think that'd be your big worry with a guy that is going to be probably the main ball handler. If he's going to call his own number a lot driving, you want to make sure that he's making those shots. And so that is an encouraging thing. And again, you spoke about the free throw shooting. He obviously hasn't taken many threes, but this is a point that I've seen people make online when discussing the transfer as well. A guy named Sean Paul, who covers a lot of mid-major basketball, does a good job. He is a good free throw shooter. That, so that lends you to think that that can translate to three-point shooting. Just because he hasn't taken a lot, if he's got a good free throw stroke, that usually goes hand-in-hand hand with just finding a perimeter shot. And so that at least gives me a chance where you can think, yeah, that could happen. I don't know that you have to lean on it necessarily. I think it can be like whatever you get, you get. And part of that, as we smoothly transition on to the next transfer, is that Brendan Tucker, you got a shooter. You got a guy who shot 40% just under it from three this past year, average double digits. And, you know, you look at the tape and the first thing you say is, yeah, that looks like a 40% three-point shooter. The jump shot is really smooth and replicable. And so you kind of filled two needs with these right away. And, you can kind of see why Jonas immediately saw these guys, what they offer and thought they were going to be important pieces to add for his first team at Georgia state. Yeah. And you know, we've seen it with Georgia state teams before, you know, you have guys who have similar profiles, you know, but where one is elite at shooting, one is elite at driving and Tucker is a very good juxtaposition to Odom. And I'm really excited for this pairing, you know, whether or not that they are actually the starting backcourt, you know, that's up to, we got months and months, you know, before we can talk about that specifically, but, you know, just looking at some of Tucker's early season shooting numbers, I mean, here's his first four games, all from three, four for five, three for four, three for five, two for five, uh, next two games over three combined. And then the next game four for six against coach Ron Hunter. And, you know, they face Tulane and it's just like, this guy is a shooter. And, This year, specifically, when Georgia State finally got on that run, similar to last year, what happened? Corey Allen started popping off from three. The the team was was shooting a lot of threes. You know, they shot probably a little bit more than Coach Lanier would have liked at the time. But that was how they got out of their slump, just because, like you said, it was weird where those twos weren't falling. And, you know, if Tucker is a guy who can be that consistent force from outside, you know, that's incredibly important for this Georgia state team where, you know, you're losing a lot of scoring potentially. And the other thing with Tucker, uh, he seemed active on defense. I mean, I only saw like the highlight tape from him. And so obviously it was only 
the best plays, but he seemed like he was disruptive and quick for, he's going to be wingish. You know, he's six, three, he might play at the, th- the three quote unquote, he might play at the two. I don't know where he'll end up playing, but he's because of, he's a little undersized. It means he's also quick and gets out in the open court. And so if they're able to make some steals, he can either be the guy running down the lane, get a transition layup or because of his shooting, him and Odom running the transition, he runs to a corner. Guy stays with Odom down the lane. Odom dishes out to a wide open guy in the corner. Tucker drains it. Everyone goes crazy in the convocation center. I think that's the other part, just with these collectively getting added. And Odom more so just because of what the idea of a very good point guard offers you is that not just what they bring, but that what that guy can unlock with the guys who are coming back. You know, Georgia State hasn't had that one player who sucks up so much attention since DeMarcus. And you know, when DeMarcus is on the team, how many times did guys like Malik and Devin get wide open threes because everyone had to go to the middle to take the guy driving because he was at 20 points already and it was the first half or whatever. And we saw the same with Ryan Harrow and RJ Hunter. And that's why that team was so lethal offensively is because you had two of those guys. And why the first Georgia State team uh, with the, should have made the tournament, you know, the team before the team that ended up beating Baylor was even more dangerous because Manny Atkins and Devontae White, you know, weapons all over the place and RJ Hunter doing his thing. Like that's what is also exciting for me is that it's not even just what they offer, but what, what they offer is going to mean for the other guys that come into the class, uh, come into the roster. And then also the guys that are still here coming back for next year. So one last bit of basketball news to discuss this week. We did get word late on Sunday night that rising senior Jalen Thomas was entering the transfer portal, the only expected returning starter for the 2022-23 season. Thomas averaged 8 points and 6.2 rebounds this past season and will finish fifth all-time in school history with 116 career blocks. Coach Hayes and his staff have three remaining scholarships to give out with this news. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Jalen? This is a huge loss. Um, the more I sit with it, uh, the more it bums me out. Um, you know, I like I've said in the past multiple times, you know, I'm big player agency type deal. You know, if and I believe Brady had mentioned that, you know, Coach Hayes had came in. It's it's standard procedure for a new coach to come in and give guys the opportunity, you know, whether they want to stay, go and codify roles and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but Jalen Thomas was going to be a starter for this Georgia State team next year. Um, Jalen Thomas, as of right now, and when Coach Hayes was announced, is probably the best player on Georgia State. You know, when he's on like that is truthfully an all Sunbelt caliber big man um, wasn't Norchad O'Meara level, but still a very competent big man, elite rim protector. You know, when that jump shot in the paint was working, it was really working, you know, and so that like that is a very dangerous basketball player. And, you know, I hope I wish him the best. I hope he lands at a really good spot, uh, but he will absolutely be missed at Georgia State. Yeah, uh, everything I've heard is it wasn't, you know, everyone had the choice and this was his decision to leave and that, you know, it makes sense that you're going to keep everyone and especially guys that were recruited by Lanier and, you know, Jalen's from Detroit. So it's not like he is a local guy at all. So 
when the news comes that the guy who recruited him is leaving, it sort of makes sense as the next step that he might be interested in finding somewhere closer to home. Um, that's not anything I know to be the case, but it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up somewhere a lot closer to Michigan than Georgia. And you know, I think the the thing that's frustrating is that we I don't think ever saw, except for maybe the final games of last season, peak Jalen Thomas, because I think it was more what you could project than what actually ended up happening in reality as far as like what David's saying with like, if he had done the last six games of the regular season last year over a full season, he would have been first team Sunbelt getting national attention and never saw that full picture. But I think he maybe got a little bit under mentioned in general this past year, especially when Ellie was back because they kind of found that rhythm again. And there were games where whether it was him and LEL or him and Jaheim on the court, just inside the defense. I mean, that's why the team flipped like it did is because suddenly no one could score inside on this team. And the shooting percentages on twos went down into the low forties, which is nationally, you know, in the top 50, you know, top 10, whatever you want to say. And so I think that part, because offense is always what's going to get talked about more, maybe went a little bit under the radar, but I thought that the last two years, he was a really good part of why the team was strong defensively when it was. And especially when defense basically got Georgia state to a bye this year. And then the offense picked up in time for the tournament win. Uh, and yeah, I, I think for sure we're going to see him land somewhere in division one. I hasn't been a given for guys that have left the program in the last couple of years, but I would be surprised if he didn't land somewhere. I think that, None of us would be surprised if he ends up being an all-conference guy for wherever he lands, if it's at the mid-major, low-major low level. And you know, front court depth was a need already because LEL wasn't going to be here. And you know, you, your main returning depth now, other than uh, Jalen in the front court, you know, Jaheem's got the most experience, and he was a true freshman. And so, certainly now with three scholarships left. At least one of those is going to be a big with some college basketball experience. It wouldn't surprise me if two of those go to front court guys. Uh, and even still, you know, even while I think it's a need to bring in some experience, it does open the door a little bit now. So you've got guys like Caleb Scott, who had a really good game in the tournament against Gonzaga. Jaheem, who I still think the sky's the limit. I think a lot of the potential he's got as a Georgia State player. Jamal Kleiss, I think we saw a lot from this past year as well in the flashes that he was able to play. I think there's still going to be roles for them. And as you're bringing in one or two guys that might take over starting roles, I still think what Jalen's departure does, it gives some minutes that maybe weren't going to be up for grabs. Those are up for grabs now. Guys like those three can earn some more minutes and get a chance to really show out for the first time. Uh, when they've kind of been bench guys for the most parts in their time at Georgia State. And that's important. You know, you're absolutely right. There's going to be a huge opportunity for a lot of guys who, you know, we're pretty excited for. You know, I'm not going to go through the list again. You said all the names and said what they're, you know, good for. But it's going to be this team was already in transition a little bit. And 
the new coach, you know, some of the transfers that they've gotten and, you know, it's going to, the transition isn't going away. So I'm still excited to see what it looks like in kind of the final iteration of this team. But, you know, don't be surprised if there is a few growing pains is what I will say. And I mean, you're looking at it. You had two guys transfer this cycle, one of which was before the coaching change even happened and was going to happen if Lanier stayed even so it doesn't really factor in. But even if you want to count it, the raw numbers, the team has now averaged through two coaching changes, a player leaving per coaching change. Because no one left other than who graduated or left for, you know, other DeMarcus left early, but it wasn't like a transfer portal situation. He just was moving on. Um. And this time you had two guys, but really one because Nelson was leaving anyway. And so that speaks again to the culture. And just like, I think that the excitement that has been there that coach Lanier was able to get with the guys that he brought in, I think that's kept. And we've seen that with the guys that have stayed. And obviously the off season still going on. Conversations might still be happening. If this isn't the final amount of attorneys who are staying for sure, I guess it wouldn't floor me, but I did see everyone else who is still listed on the roster at the introductory press conference. And so I took that as a sign that everyone's kind of locked in, ready to go and excited. And so three scholarships to go. We'll see how it continues to get filled. Uh, My one note would be uh, if you're trying to read the tea leaves on transfers, if you see someone enter the transfer portal, check if they're from Atlanta and or Georgia. And if they are, I feel like there's a good chance it's going to be someone Georgia State's looking at. And uh, if it is, if they are not, it doesn't mean that Georgia State isn't. But I just feel like the first thing I'm doing when I see someone pop up as a transfer, I'm just like, all right, where do they go to high school? And if it's Georgia, and you know, so far that's worked out pretty well because the guys from Georgia that have popped on the portal have been Tucker and Odom and two for two there. So next up, we've got baseball and everything is coming up bus lot boys as it was a second straight weekend sweep and conference play for the baseball team this time on the road at Coastal Carolina. The bats exploded to lead the team to a 14 eight win to start the series on Friday night, and then they hatched comebacks in back to back wins to take Saturday and Sunday's games seven to six and five to four respectively to break out the brooms. Then on Tuesday at Georgia Tech, Josh Smith started proceedings with a two run homer and Griffin Cheney hit two home runs of his own as the Panthers pulled away and won nine to five to avenge their home loss to the Jackets earlier this season. Georgia State is now 23-10 on the year. That's the second-best 33-game start in program history. And more importantly, they're currently 10-2 in Sunbelt play, good for first in the conference after Texas State lost 2-3 of three over the weekend at home against Georgia Southern. State are now 25th in NCAA RPI and have found their way into NCAA tournament projections with their current run of form and eight-game win streak. So, uh, gentlemen... Those bus slot boys, that Coastal Series and that uh, Georgia Tech game, what are your thoughts? I mean, my first thought is I, I feel bad, honestly, that they got relegated to second sports status uh, because it was a really consequential week. And the only argument I have is that having us talking about Jonas Hayes and baseball running at the same time would have been really bad audio. Like, that's not an experience anyone wants. But, like, they honestly both deserve top billing. We just had to pick one. And with the excitement about the new basketball hire, it just made sense to go with that first. But that says nothing about how we think about how the baseball team has done because I mean, this last week was just an incredible road sweep with some really toughness shown through the last two games. And then you got revenge against Georgia tech and, you know, I'll be honest, 
when we were talking about this team beginning of the year, I th- I expected improvement, and I can you know we go back. I'm sure that the tape we said about that is going to sound really good, but I wasn't necessarily to the point where I was expecting in April that Georgia State was going to start showing up on basically every regional projection and even up into the three seed line for regionals. And so we'll see, you know, April is still going to be a tough month and there's still a long way to go to haven't even played over half their conference schedule yet, but for where they've been to where they are this year, I mean, it's been an incredible run and you saw basically everything that's going right for them in the course of those four games this past week. Can I just say that I love college baseball because if you look at that lineup, you know, the stats from that first game against Coastal, Georgia State scored 14 runs. And so you're like, oh, okay. Like everybody, you know, must have had like a really, really good day at the plate. No, you know, there were only two guys who had more than one hit. You know, there was a lot of people got hits, but Coastal had five errors. And that just led to a ton of Georgia State runs. And, you know, 10 unearned, which is the first time I can think of I've seen double digits of unearned runs in the game. Like, that's incredible, (laughs) you know, and it's. I don't know, maybe in years past, a Georgia State baseball team would have not taken advantage of that. But, you know, you're talking about a Georgia State baseball team that is taking advantage of people's mistakes, you know, like, yes, obviously you would like it if they, you know, had 40 hits in this game where they scored a ton of runs. You know, I'm obviously exaggerating, but this team is taking advantage of people's mistakes and, you know, they're pitching well enough to keep it so other teams can't do the same, you know, like Georgia state did not play a clean game by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they had three errors themselves. They gave up six walks, you know, that's, it's not good, but they're finding ways to make that not matter, you know, and then the other games in the weekend, you know, they were close coastal gave them a good run for their money, but you know, Georgia state, they you know, found ways to get it done Four run ninth inning in that seven, six win on Saturday. Like that's, you know, this team is good. Like, I I feel like I can finally put that out on the airwaves because I've been, you know, really tepid at making that assessment. Like, I feel like this team is actually good. You know, at least they're consistently beating our expectations. Yeah, I mean, that Friday game, like you say, took advantage of mistakes. But the other part of it was just it was eight nothing before you blinked. Like, I was kind of multitasking at the start of the game, doing a couple of things. And, you know, I kept looking up as like, Oh, they keep adding on. Uh, there's another run. There's another, and it's just hard to dig out of an eight, nothing hole. And so, you know, coastal kind of battled back with the bats in the middle endings of that game late on. They got a three run home run that cut it from 14, five to 14, eight. And it was like somehow six point, uh, a six run lead feels insecure because nine, one nine run one sounds so nice. Like I, you go through with basketball too, where, like a lead getting cut to low single digits suddenly feels like, Oh no, the game's back to one possession game when you're up by 20. Like it felt a little bit like that. Uh, and it felt like maybe a little bit like, Oh, what's going to happen is, and then nothing, you know, coastal didn't do anything after that home run six point win, start the series off. And then, yeah, it, the Saturday game was weird. Uh, no one really had a kind of a flow going, but coastal started just, hitting a bunch of home runs and the, the first like I think nine runs of the I think all of the first nine runs of the game were all, all off of home run balls. And then, so that was the six, three lead 
Coastal got, I think, three straight home runs that turned it from a 3-2 Georgia State lead to Coastal was up 6-3. And just the, the innings went on. You're running out of outs. And then out of nowhere in the top of the ninth, you know, Luke Boynton starts it with a solo home run, cuts it to a 6-4 game. Eventually, Max Ryerson gets an RBI double. It's 6-5. There's guys on second and third, two outs. I think it was down to the last strike, too. And D'Angelo Bood gets a, just the seeing eye of seeing eyes singles just passed into left field. They're running on contact, so both guys score. And Ryan Watson shuts it down in the ninth. It's a big series win, and that enough would have been, you know, that was going to be the, all right, you went up on the road, especially with the struggles you had when you went to ULM. You got two or three. That's great. And then they sealed it on Sunday. It's both games, uh, both those Saturday and Sunday games, weirdly enough, followed the same kind of scoring pattern where Georgia State got a three-run home run that turned a 2 nothing Coastal lead into a 3-2 Georgia State lead. And so that happened. And teams traded runs here and there from that point, but once Georgia State took that lead, 3-2, they held it from there. And again, pitching got it done. And like you say, the bats, I think it was important to see them come out even with a little help from Coastal on the Friday game. And the pitching is doing enough. I think somehow having a guy who maybe is your best like tools pitcher, Mason Patel, not be able to be a guy out of rotation has worked out because he's kind of been eating some middle innings in some games. And he got the win, I believe, on the Friday game this week. And it's kind of worked out that you've had to move him to a non-traditional role and you've moved Ryan Watson to the closing role because they've really made it their own. And they've, I thought it was really savvy job by coach Stromdahl and his staff of being presented with a situation where guys were going to need to throw less innings because of the work they had done earlier in the year and not being all right, we can't use them at all or trying to shoehorn them into their old role when it wasn't going to work. They kind of just switched up, did a new thing, and it's worked out gangbusters. It's been a very inspired set of decisions to put guys into roles that work for where they're at, and the team is seeing the dividends paid off of that. It certainly has. You know, I we're what we're a little over halfway, I believe, by this point. Um, but I this series will be halfway on conference. Okay, There's thirty conference games. Gotcha. Uh, it's, I'm really excited just to see what the ceiling is and, you know, the schedule, like, like we've talked about, it's, it's not getting easier, but good teams find ways to do it. So if this is a good team, you know, this upcoming series, it's going to be really important to continue to do what they have been doing. So next up for the Buslot boys, a huge series down south at Georgia Southern who are tied for third in the Sun Belt with an eight and four conference record. The in-state rivalry will happen Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Clemens Stadium in Statesboro. The Panthers will then return home to host Kennesaw Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. The Owls edged Georgia State 6-4 when the teams met in Kennesaw on February 23rd. So, gentlemen, a uh, pivotal series of games coming up this week. What are your thoughts? Again, the first one is just this series will make halfway point in the Sunbelt schedule and you know, we're going to have to be scoreboard watching, which hasn't been a thing in the last baseball season or the season before that, you know, since we've done this, it's the first year where we're really like needing to pour over all the teams. And I was following along as it, the team that shall remain down South 
actually did Georgia State a favor because they're in first because Southern went down to San Marcos and knocked off uh, Texas State in the first two of their series they played, and it ended up working out for Georgia State that Sam, uh, Texas State was able to get the the final one, and they're still in first. But Texas State's got to, you know, if you're watching Georgia State baseball, you're going to have to keep keeping tabs on Texas State baseball because they're right there. And after this series, however it goes, it's going to probably affect, you know, you're going to have to keep up with Georgia Southern baseball. And Troy's also right there. Louisiana is always lurking. And, you know, Coastal, they've been struggling. And obviously Georgia State just got three on them. But they've got guys, you know, I think their shortstop is probably going to get drafted in the first round, maybe the second round of the NBA, uh, the NBA of the MLB draft. So there's talent there and it might be, you caught them a good time, but it, Georgia state suddenly being top of the conference after having been one of the bottom teams for a few years, doesn't suddenly erase that this is a really good Sunbelt league. And it's just nice to be here as we're in the middle of April talking about pivotal Georgia state series, you know, that hasn't been the case with baseball and it's just a credit to what coach Stromdahl has been able to build and continue to build here. Absolutely. You know, and like, make no mistake, this Southern team is going to want to win just as badly as Georgia state does. You know, they got off to a bit of a slow start this year and then kind of heated up, but they've kind of cooled down a little bit and, you know, it's definitely picked up for them in conference play, but you know, they just came off a series win against Texas State, like Brady mentioned, and, you know, they dropped the prior series to Louisiana. So they're at home. They are fighting for, you know, top dog in the Sun Belt just as much as Georgia State is. So it's going to be a really good series, I would say. And, you know, like like Brady said, there's other teams that, you know, Georgia State is going to have to, you know, kind of scoreboard watch a little bit just to see like, OK, what's you know, what's the positioning going to be at the end of the season? Because it's it's really starting to heat up in the Sun Belt right now. Yeah. And, you know, just to speak to common opponents and all that, Southern beat Georgia 13 to five earlier this year when Georgia made the trek down. I guess they played that game in North Augusta, but so I don't know what that happened. Uh, this shows what I get for live reading stuff. And then they also beat Mercer and Macon, which when Georgia State went to Mercer, that game didn't go great. You know, M- M- Mercer won 15 to five. Uh, and one game sample sizes aren't indicative of much in baseball, but it just shows that they can beat good teams. They've beaten good teams that Georgia State has not been able to beat. And Texas State, again, you know, not to just com- completely go back to just the one series and some about play, but they've been nationally ranked and they beat Texas and going to them, beating them in their stadium, absolutely deserving of Georgia state's attention and respect in this upcoming series. And obviously for reasons beyond the standings, it'd be nice to uh, get that series win against the team down South, even though the new AD down there killed off the rivalry series due to basically it's just not going that great for them. Uh, but, you know, I guess it did also kind of feel like another full circle thing because the first time last year that I really took notice of just kind of the leap was when Southern came up to the bus lot and Georgia State took two or three last year. And it felt like a really important series because, you know, last year, I don't think that they were on comparable levels. I think Georgia Southern had a lot more talent than, and uh, I guess experience winning than last year's Georgia state baseball team. But this year, I think they're going in on really level peggings and 
I just think that this team's confidence level is sky high right now. I mean, you just see that in the results they're getting with who's showing out. Like it's just all over the place. You're seeing guys make plays and the grit that's needed to win games like they were able to do on Saturday late. That stuff just kind of all feeds from a team that's feeling it right now. All right, and let's go ahead and close out this week's episode with a very busy edition of Sports Bits. First off, today, as of recording this podcast, we learned that men's tennis head coach Jonathan Wolf was named Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year. Wolf led the 63rd ranked Panthers to 5-1 and one in conference play and 15-7 and seven overall, as well as Sunbelt regular season champions. Congratulations to Coach Wolf and the men's tennis program. And this week in Georgia State Athletics, baseball travels down I-16 to face Georgia Southern in a three-game stretch Thursday at 6.30, Friday at 6.30, and Saturday at 2 p.m. All three games will be on ESPN+. And then on Tuesday, the Bus Slot Boys host Kennesaw State at 4 p.m., also on ESPN+. Softball travels to San Marcos, Texas to face Texas State in a three-game stretch of their own Thursday at 7, Friday at 3 p.m., and Saturday at noon. All three of those games will be on ESPN Plus as well. And they'll then welcome Georgia Tech to the Bob Heck Softball Complex for a Wednesday evening game at 6 p.m. Men's tennis will spend Friday and Saturday just south of Atlanta in Peachtree City for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, which airs on ESPN Plus. Track and field will spend Friday and Saturday in Auburn, Alabama for the War Eagle Invitational. Women's tennis hosts Georgia Southern at 10.30 a.m. Friday. Beach Volleyball travels to Columbia, South Carolina on Friday and Saturday for the Palmetto Invitational, where they will face South Carolina, Florida Gulf Coast, College of Charleston, and Coastal Carolina. Court Volleyball will face Kennesaw State, Georgia Tech, and Tennessee on the Yellow Jackets campus in Midtown for a series of spring volleyball matches on Saturday at 10.45 a.m., noon, and 3.45 in the afternoon. And finally, women's golf will spend Sunday through Tuesday at the Sunbelt Conference Championship in Daytona, Florida. But that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Thursday Night Podcast. As always, we'll be back at it again next week with more Panthers sports news and updates. Until then, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.